Welcome to the Ready to Thrive podcast. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you are just surviving your life. I know I have, and that's why I created this space. I want to help you move from surviving to thriving. My goal is to help you get unstuck and actually enjoy your life. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips and always point you to Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. I am sitting down with the lovely Jennifer Dukes Lee. Now, if you're not familiar with Jennifer, she lives on a fifth generation farm in Iowa with her and her husband, where they raise crops, pigs, and their two beautiful daughters. Now, she is the author of multiple books. She's also an acquisitions editor for Bethany House. And now listen, Jennifer is one of the nicest people in the world, but part of her job is to reject people. Part of her job is to turn people down um, as an acquisitions editor. Now she has turned me down not once, but twice. And yet I still wanna be her friend. So that tells you something just about how um, awesome and kind Jennifer is. And um, so I love that we kind of have, we have that connection um that i have submitted book proposals um to jennifer and she has been so so kind in her rejection um but also just she's just a really fun person to follow to get to know i'm really excited about her next book we're going to talk about that today her next book is titled growing slow lessons on unhurrying your heart from an accidental farm girl and i sent jennifer a message after i started reading this book and i said jennifer i do not want to read this book. I want to read how to grow fast really quickly, how to explode. Um, but this is the book that I needed to read. And I think this is the book um, really so many of us today need to read. So I'm excited to dive into it. I'm excited to have this conversation with Jennifer. So Jennifer, tell me a little bit more about yourself and uh, your journey of how you got to start writing. Actually, tell me your journey of how you became an accidental farm girl. I'd love to know that. Well, first, I, I feel like I have to address this whole rejection issue, right? Yes. <laughs> hit, hit me back. That, yeah, hit me back, hit me back. Okay, so here's the deal. Yeah, I, think it's so, I think it's so interesting because um, there's so much behind any book that there are piles of rejections and I've been there, but here's the funny thing. So yes, I am an author, but I'm also this acquisitions editor for Bethany House. And here is how I got that job. In 2012, pitched my first book to all of the major Christian publishing houses through a literary agent and had conversations with a number of publishers, one of those being Bethany House Publishers. We had a great conversation. I thought it went really well. I was certain they were going to take my wonderful book proposal to pub board and they rejected me. <laughs> And so now I, I kept this relationship up with the, the editor there. I got my books published somewhere else and that, that's all fine and good. But I kept this relationship going, much like you and I have this relationship going and this friendship. And um, we had a lot of conversations about authors out there who might be publishable. 
And they came to me a couple of years ago and said, do you want to like get paid for that and come do this for a living? I did not apply for this job. It was not on my radar. It took me four months to decide to say yes to it. But that's the crazy thing about God's plans. You can think that a rejection is a closed door when it's just a waiting room. And now I work for the company that rejected my first book proposal. So let that be an encouragement to anybody out there, including you. <laughs> well, I think that's so good. And I love, even as, even as you're explaining your story, I think that's why your books, I think carry such weight is that you are writing these books through your own place, your own stories, but you're also like, Jennifer's giving us a word of wisdom um, in there. And I fully believe, um, just what she said and, and really that rejection is not it's it's not a um a closed door forever i really feel like sometimes god is just growing us we're going to talk about that later on in terms of um what the winter seasons of our life look like what we get to learn in those seasons um and i think it really does actually make us for the best stories right and that's why i wanted to bring this up because i was like how fun is this that i've actually developed this relationship um, with Jennifer over these, you know, quote unquote rejections. Um, but also it, it is that thing that I think is so ironic when I think about such a kind person having this to be part of their job. And I, I, I have felt for you because I'm like, Ooh, this would, that would be hard. I know that for my, um, that, that's definitely something I would struggle with in terms of the, um, you know, that saying no, but I, I want to dive into, <laughs> I want to dive into kind of how, um, how you became a farm wife and, um, and the lessons you have gone on to learn about why, why growing slow is not just um, okay, but really just kind of the way we were created. So I'd love to dive into some of that. All right. Well, I could certainly start with how I ended up on a farm accidentally. And it's because I accidentally fell in love with the farmer. <laughs> I grew up in a small town that was a farming community, but I was a town girl, but my backyard was a cornfield. We played hide and seek in that cornfield. My dad was the manager of the grain elevator. Our lives were very much entwined with agriculture. And I desired something different for my life, something that felt a bit more exciting. And so when I went to Iowa State University, I had every uh, plan to escape and never return to anything that felt rural. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it went. I was a news reporter in um, several cities. My husband went to Drake Law School and got his law degree. And we were on our way to uh, seeing a lot of those big city dreams come true. But a variety of circumstances happened and there was this undeniable pull to come back, not just to be a town girl, but to move back to his family farm up in the far Northwest corner of Iowa. And that's where we are now. We've got about 700 acres of corn and soybeans at any given time. We have about 1000 pigs. And so it's a very active, big farm. And um, because of this, to come to your next question, I have a bird's eye view of how God created his earth, including the inhabitants to live in seasons. Mm -hmm. And whether that's crops or ideas or people, whatever we are experiencing, relationships go through seasons. 
it's taught me a lot about um, slow growth. You know, when we plant millions, literally millions of seeds into these fields every spring, there is a period of time, sometimes days, sometimes weeks, where there, it appears to be no growth. And if I were a corn seed or a soybean seed shoved down into the darkness, I'd be like freaking out. But I have never once seen a corn plant freaking out. It just grows slowly over time, putting down good roots, which I know most of you probably say roots, roots, root, root. I say roots, so we'll just have to deal with that. But it takes time to put down good roots in a field and to withstand the storms that inevitably come across this prairie land. And it also takes time to put down good roots in a life. Out here on the farm, we talk about, a lot about sustainable agriculture. And sustainable agriculture is an appreciation for not just the growth like this season, right now, let's get it up fast and let's get it out and let's plant again. But sustainable growth makes space for seasons. It means that we rotate the crops from corn one year to soybeans another year because we don't care only about our food production now and our pocketbooks and trying to make a living. We care about the land and being a good steward of it over the long haul. This land has supported many, many generations of different kinds of families and five generations of the Lees. And we want to take good care of it for people who will need this land for food production years down the line. And the same is true in our lives. I think that we all wanna grow sustainable things and we don't get sustainable by going viral or going big and, you know, or being an overnight success. We do it by putting down good roots. That's so good. And I love how you share your personal story in this book of really the catalyst for um, realizing, okay, th some things in my life have to change. And I think a lot of people could really identify with this. Can you share with us a bit of that story of how you ended up in a doctor's office being like, whoa, okay, something has to change. Right. So for the last many years, I've actually preached and written a book or two about um, God having things under control and busyness and all those sorts of things. So I've learned and practiced and taught hard lessons about saying no. And um, I've cleared my calendar and set priorities and all those things. And so I went to the doctor a few years ago and he was telling me, you know, there's nothing like physically wrong with you. I can't find anything in any particular medical test. And he was telling me that I was burned out and, and stressed out and that I had a hurried heart, that I was suffering from hurry sickness. And I was like, that can't be possible because I know all, all about hurry and stress. And I know stressed out people and I'm not one of them. In fact, I've put, it, put really good boundaries in my life. But he taught me and, and God taught me in um, the weeks and seasons that passed that particular doctor's appointment that it had less to do with my calendar and more to do with my heart. That I was waking up in the morning with an immediate sense of I'm falling behind. I'm not where I should be in my life at this point. And so when you have a hurried heart, which is actual trauma to your body, the cortisol levels spike and the adrenaline and the adrenaline levels spike and you suddenly are in a constant state of fight or flight mode. And 
there's no downtime. Your brain is constantly racing and thinking and hurry is hanging around your heart. And, you know, when you are a sick person, when you have a sickness and you've had that sickness for so long, you think that's just the way that you feel like that's just the way life is. But then when you get healthy and you realize when the digestive problems go away, when you can finally sleep again, when you don't have the headaches, when you don't have that anxious, hurried feeling, you realize what you were missing out on all along. And so I really challenge people to ask themselves some questions about um, if they have a hurried heart and take a self inventory, which I have in the book that helps people kind of understand what it is to have a hurried heart and to experience hurry sickness. And for somebody who's listening right now, who's like, Ooh, I can identify with that, especially as you, I think it's, um, what is very true is that we kind of acclimatize to a way of living. And one of my good friends, as long as I've known her, I have said like, you you are the energizer bunny. Like you just stress me out with how much you pack in a day and what you're capable of. And since we've been in this past year of really pivoting, slowing down, changing, um, her weekends just used to be packed. She basically, I would say she's somebody who had about three jobs, um, all, many of them volunteer. And she said to me the other day, you know, I can't do anything on Saturdays and Sundays anymore. I just, I don't think I'm going to be able to go back. Like I just, she now realizes, oh, I don't actually have to live at, you know, mock speed anymore. I, I can do this a different way and things have to change. And it, I've seen her make those changes. Like it's been a process. I think even in this, sometimes we want the quick fix, right? Like we're like, okay, here's the problem. How do I fix this in 30 minutes or less? What would you say to somebody who is really identifying with that? With that? How do they start making those changes or being aware that some things could be different? Right. So yes, the cure is an inside job and it is not something that happens in 30 minutes because we have been, in, the idea has been ingrained in us to hustle and push and rush and meet the next milestone. So it's really pushing back against what culture is constantly telling us, which can be an incredibly hard thing to do. So it requires more than a few simple steps, but it requires a mindset shift. Now there are things that we can absolutely do to, to try them out, uh, to try it out and live a growing slow lifestyle. Like one thing that um, I advise people to do just as a start, like something that you could do tomorrow morning is, well, actually tonight, you have to go to bed 10 minutes earlier and then you get up 10 minutes earlier. So you're not getting less sleep. You're just going to go to bed 10 minutes early. I don't care what's on your plate, what you think you got to get done tonight, get up 10 minutes earlier, set the alarm and set the tone for your day. Welcome the day, whatever that looks like for you, whether it is sitting on the front step with a cup of coffee, whether it's going for a short walk down your driveway whether it is having a conversation with God, whether it's taking deep breaths and looking out the window, it is setting the tone for the day, welcoming the day. And it makes a difference because you're not starting out with feet hitting the floor and having that cortisol level jump up to such high levels that you have hurry sickness from the minute you walk out your bedroom. 
Now, people will say to me, but Jennifer, that sounds boring. Like just stare at the ceiling or look out the window or whatever. I got stuff to do. And, and to people that say that, I want to say, first of all, it will feel boring for a while. One people, people that, that look, that have hurry sickness, look at late uh, at people who are, say they're bored and call them lazy. Like we would think that there's something wrong if in our society, you say you're bored. So first embrace the boredom and what is it speaking to you? And when you don't have your coping mechanisms of productivity and achievement, pushing you into high gear, what does this say about you? And let your life speak back to you and your body speak back to you what it wants to say. Give it some time. And the second thing I want to say for people who say that sounds boring is then you tell me how that exciting life of hustle is treating you. Now you can go on and continue to jump out of bed and move hundred miles an hour from the second you wake up, or you can give this two weeks, a week, whatever it is, and see what a difference it makes to welcome your day and set the tone for it. I mean, there's other things I can share. They're little things, they're big mindset shift things, but that would be one that I would start with. I just really want to tie in what you said earlier uh, that really stuck with me as, um, you know, I, because Jennifer and I both, we share things on Instagram and we pay attention to things like numbers. Like what are things that people resonate with? I just happened to look, I'm not great at this. I'm learning, but I was looking at insights the other day. So I, I pulled up something. And I was like, Oh, I can see. I can see what my number one post was, the one that the people most resonated with. And it was a post that said, I will not be behind if I rest today. That was the number one post. Wow. And I realized, I was like, oh, because this is speaking right to that lie that says I'm behind. And so I think you know, it's, if this resonates with you, like this is a deeply rooted lie for a lot of people. And so um, even as Jennifer said, like sitting there and she used the term coping mechanisms of productivity. And that really is a mindset shift because when we can view rest as being productive, as Ooh, car yes. caring for our soul, as being productive, even those places that appear lazy or we think are like we're not getting anywhere we're not getting any, um, done anything done that really is this mindset shift I know for myself I just want to say this took me probably the better portion of a year to really I would say rewire my thinking because I would be somebody Saturday morning I am up I am writing down a list that of to-dos that really we don't have to do, but I'm just creating something like we, especially because Saturdays, my husband was home, I'm going to put him to work. And this did not help our relationship because I became this nagging person. I didn't give him the space to rest in a way he needed. Um, I was nagging my kids and we, I would say over the course of about four years have transformed the way for sure, the way we do Saturdays, we made a rule that we don't we don't actually work on Saturdays. We're not super legalistic about a, a Sabbath, but we just say, let's pay attention to what we need today. Sometimes we will be doing some form of cleaning, but we, we try to just give ourselves, hey, what does each person in our home kind of need today? How are we going to rest? That might look like 
going for a jog or going to play somewhere. Um, but we really give ourselves that permission and we say, hey, this is caring for ourselves in this way. Rest, see, viewing rest as productivity. The secret I have found is that when you rest well, you're actually far more productive in your work times. And so um, I can see Jennifer nodding. I know that she um, has related to this as well. I think that, um, that that's just something that deeply resonates with so many people. I don't know what your journey was of like, I love the 10 minute advice. It's that's very simple. We actually had a woman named Kat Lee on the podcast recently who wrote a book called Hello Mornings and, and her um, wisdom in getting up early was full of grace and full of just, she talks about this three minute morning. So it's, it's definitely something Jennifer's saying is go to bed 10 minutes early, start your day with just this nice slow pace. And I agree, it really does set that tone, right? That thing that we start with is gonna set the tone. Um, I wanna talk to you a little bit about um, the way your book is laid out. You've broken it down to seasons. And so we've got four big sections with the four main seasons. The one I want to land on is winter. I think winter really is the season that so many of us can relate to even right now, um, being in a hard place. Like we, in the natural physical world, physical world, we're just exiting winter, we're getting into spring. Um, but for many of us, we've been walking through just this winter hard season in our life. And so um, talk to me about um, what winter seasons have looked like for you and how you are now learning to view winter seasons. Right. So we've been living in a prolonged winter season globally since about March 2020. <laughs> and for some even early in other parts of the world. And um, winter can be a very uncomfortable place. Uh, both physically, both physical winter, when I look out the windows and everything is covered in white here in Iowa, sometimes we'll get um, ice on our windows and we call it cheap blinds because you can't see in or out of the windows. Wow. And so it just looks dreary. It looks like nothing is growing. It's just a hard place to be. And we often, as people, we, all of us at one point in our lives, will need to go through winter seasons, sometimes multiples at a time. And it doesn't always coincide with physical winter, but we are prone to want to live in a constant cycle of plant, grow, harvest. Plant, grow, harvest. Let's just keep killing it. Let's stay in the spotlight. Let's keep growing, whatever that happens to be in your life, but just to be on your game all the time. But the fact is most of us will at some point enter winter seasons of our lives and we probably need to learn what to do inside of them. I think that God creates in winter physically a built-in pause for nature. Here on the farm, physical winter is one fourth of the growing season. And while it can look like there is nothing happening out there, in fact, Underneath the soil, there are lots of microbes moving around, little animals moving around. When snow falls, there is nitrogen in it, and we actually call it poor man's fertilizer. But one of my favorite parts about winter is the rocks that emerge. 
right after the frost thaw cycle at the end of winter, about the time we're in now, um, Mother Nature will unearth these gigantic rocks. When we were kids, we had to go out and pick rock. That's what it was called, which is so ridiculous because there was way more than one rock, yep. but it was called pick and rock. And a farmer would come into town and get all of us kids. And we'd go out to these hundreds of acres of fields and we would clear the fields of rocks. And then the next year we had to go back and do it all again because there are more rocks that come up that you would just be shocked at the size of some of these rocks. And um, there's not some magic, you know, rock fairy dropping uh, rocks on fields to harass neighbor or harass farmers. It's just what happens. And if we don't take the rocks out, they will damage the harvest equipment and the planting equipment. The same is true of us. This is what, how winter heals the land and it's how winter seasons heal us. I think that many of us, I know that all of us are carrying around rocks inside of us, burdens that have been perhaps embedded in the soil of our hearts for a very long time. And winter seasons, when we push pause on our lives and pay attention to the slowing down of the world around us and the slowing down within us, those rocks will emerge. And we give opportunity to God to pick rock. And so one of the things that I've done in the book, in the Bible study, and also in the Bible study videos, is I've created a way for women to deal with the rocks of winter. I have a stone illustration in the Bible study in session six, where they are to write, name your burden, which naming is powerful, a powerful act. So you name the burden on your rock and you send me the rock. And I have a PO box 327 Inwood, Iowa, 51240 that people have already begun to email me or excuse me, mail me like snail mail me their burdens to this. I go into town and get them out of the post office box. I put up a wall in one of the barns and I staple gun the rocks, the paper rocks to the wall. I pray over every single one of them. And then I paint over them with white paint, a sort of act of redemption. And I know in some people that aren't visual or don't think like that think oh my gosh Jennifer is so weird <laughs> oh, I love it but for me it's my way of saying I am with you in this I am a girlfriend who is going to take your burden to God in prayer and maybe it makes more sense for somebody to write it on a real rock and your bible study group goes goes out and throws them all in the river at once or in a lake or whatever I don't care what it is, but I wanted to create a way for people to let winter do its work in them. And I wanted to partner with them in taking this and laying it at the feet of Jesus. So I'm really excited about what winter can do for each of us. Well, that's so good. I know for myself, I did actually write down, um, it was a process of writing down like a, a lie I had been believing in a, at a women's retreat. We threw them in the water and it was like, oh, we, we can't go back and get that. Like that's, that's right. gone. And there's something powerful in doing something symbolically. So I love that. I also was surprised when I read that in my mind, I was like, oh, you get rid of the rocks and then they're gone. And when you said they were coming back the next year, I was so mad. I was like, why, why are there more, more rocks coming out? And it really reminded me of, you know, the analogy I often use is, is very similar in that sense of weeds and how, you know, we 
we will have these seasons where we are uprooting these weeds um, in our garden, but also in our heart. And then things come back and we can be so discouraged. Right. And I think part of it is that as you, as you learn to identify a, what the, what those rocks are and you practice really giving them over to Jesus, you're like, Hey, this is a practice. I, I'm not actually holding on to this. Um, there is something in learning how to deal with those things the same way, probably as you went rock picking as a kid, you got better at it. Um, and as we weed our gardens outside, I am actually terrible at identifying weeds um, from flowers. And sometimes I'm sure I let weeds hang out that have no right to be there and pick out the flowers because um, it is, it's really challenging. But one thing I have found as well is a friend told me, if you can weed your garden basically right after a storm, everything has been loosened, right? The mm -hmm. soil has been loosened. So it, Ooh, I will good. find that like I can pull out a huge weed because it's, it's wet. And it's, I think that's true in our lives. We don't, nobody wants to go out in a storm to weed their garden. And sometimes we feel like we're in a hard place and we're like, I don't want to deal with this junk in my life right now. I need to get better. I need things need to calm down. It's like, well, actually what's happening is in this hard place, things are coming up so that you get to deal with them so that you can become free. And so um, I think that I love your rock analogy and giving women that opportunity to, there's something powerful in writing it down, sending mm -hmm. it off, seeing it get painted. Uh, I want to read something from your book and I'm going to confess that it is, it's a little bit long, but it's really good. So I want to read just a, a chunk from this winter season. It says, looking back, I can see that the winter seasons of my life grew me in ways I didn't know I needed at the time. They grew faith inside of me that I never imagined possible. In my heart's coldest winters, I learned about perseverance, patience, and endurance, traits that would serve me well in the summers of my heart. During the winter seasons of life, it appeared as though nothing was happening and that nothing I did mattered. There were years of exhaustion, seasons of loneliness, long hospital stays, emergencies, funerals, financial strain, disappointments in ministry, and so much more. I struggled with a dark night of the soul during a long stretch of my early adulthood. In those years, I lost all belief, not only in Jesus' love for me, but in his very existence. I am certain your list of wintry trials is lengthy, lengthy as well. Scripture makes it clear. Christians don't get a pass on hard times. Such moments must be endured. Even so, I would beg God to end the winter seasons of my heart, to bring springtime to my soul. Immediate relief did not always come. During one winter season of my heart in 2004, my oldest sister, Julie, Julianne, I hope I'm saying that right, yes. gave me a piece of paper on which she wrote the words, give me enough grace for today. God didn't always move the mountain, but day by day, he provided me with enough grace to climb it. Strength for today, hope for tomorrow. Each day I added to the muscle and spiritual insight that I would not have gained any other way. And I, I think that really is, um, it's a mindset shift when it comes to the hard places we're walking through. And um, I think for each of us, aside from this global pandemic, we all have these other 
sometimes hidden winter places. We have these losses. We have these disappointments. Like you shared so many things that I think everybody listening could say, yeah, either, either I just was there or I'm there right now. And I think what you are really encouraging us in, in this moment is to say, Hey, Hey God, you're, you're not saying I'm not going to experience these hard things, but you are walking with me through it. It's also not wasted. It's not for nothing. You are growing me so that I'm going to have these things later on. So I think that that to me is such a huge, um, mindset shift that helps me as I walk through storms, as I walk through winter seasons. I love that. That's a good word. Um, I want to hear from you. Um, what, what has been, we've talked, talked about the winter season. I love how you share about some of those things in your book. What for you has been, um, a harvest season or a growing season? Like what is one of your kind of favorite stories that parallels with another season in this book? Yeah. So, um, I think that harvest is often, harvest is so exciting on a farm because we get to hold that fully ripened thing in our hand. Um, and I think that we all feel that whether it's an ear of corn or an apple from our tree or a ripened tomato or an idea, or perhaps sending a child off to college and knowing you've done your best, as scary as it is. These are all kinds of harvests and they're a time to celebrate. But I think that one thing that we forget about harvest is sometimes the harvest doesn't turn out like we thought it would. Sometimes um, all of that time and effort we put in to planting and growing doesn't produce the kind of harvest that we wanted to. There was a time on the farm when Scott's dad was still alive. It was a couple of years before he passed away of leukemia when um, Scott was going to be in charge of the harvest on one particular weekend while his mom and dad left for a conference and um, something broke down in the combine. And Scott Im immediately began to calculate all of the lost time because he wasn't gonna be able to get into the fields and he didn't know how to fix this thing. And um, his dad came out on the yard and said, you're basically gonna to have to deal with it, son, cause I gotta go, catch you later. And my husband was ticked because like his dad didn't really tell him what to do. Didn't, you know, he didn't know if he's gonna be able to get in the, he was gonna lose a lot of time and time is of the essence. And I couldn't really believe either that, that Paul would leave him like that, but he did. and. Um, they got a technician came out and they figured it out together and Scott got rolling again and it all worked out. Well, his, his, um, dad passed away and, um, his dad had a, uh, before he passed away, he said, I had so much more I wanted to teach you son. Mm -hmm. And, um, Paul was, before he was a farmer, he was a teacher. So he had a real teacher's heart. And, um, some years after that same problem happened again, in the combine and Scott wasn't able to ask his dad what to do, but because all those years later during harvest, Paul said, you're gonna have to figure it out, son. Scott knew exactly what to do. So there have been hard seasons and things that we've learned in difficult harvests and difficult growing seasons that we wouldn't have gained or learned the insight that would serve us on later down the road. And I think that Paul knew that. I think that Paul 
knew that Scott needed to learn how to figure it out on his own to gain a little bit of confidence. I think that we can feel sometimes in our lives like our father, our heavenly father has gone off to some conference or something while everything is breaking around us and that we are left to try to figure things out on our own. And we wonder, are we running out of time? Am I disappointing my father? All those kinds of questions. Will he be mad when he comes back to check in? But the thing is that God is teaching us and growing us even when things break, even when it all breaks down. And so I don't want to be afraid of those broken things. I want to be able to know that God is putting me back together, even in the midst of my own brokenness during harvest times. Well, I think that is going to make me read one more thing from your book. Um, I have one, one final quick question for you after I read this, but this, um, this was what I was going to end with. It, it says, so let it grow. Hmm. Broken things are fertilizer for the growth you'll see in a new season. Broken things are sometimes the most beautiful things of all. So break your will, break your plans, take the bottle of alabaster in your hand and smash it into a thousand pieces at the feet of Jesus. Know that your broken offering of love is seen by the one who makes you whole. And he will, he will make you whole. He will bring you to the harvest. It's his plan. It's his promise. So let it grow. And I think that as we look at the farm life, as we look at our own lives, we don't get to um, control the outcomes. We don't get to control even the way things grow. Um, I love this invitation to lay it down at Jesus' feet. And um, Jennifer, I, I think this is, such a, this is such a timely book for where women are at, that it's going to, you do a great job of writing to women in their places of pain, their pain points, but not leaving them stuck there drawing them closer to Jesus and really into transformation. Um, As we wrap up, I want to ask you um, just something I think is so fun. I think that um, is going to be a really cool thing to share with uh, the listeners. Can you tell me a little bit about your um, Bible writing for your daughters? I know this is a totally shifting gears, but I think it's such a really, it's such a cool idea. Um, that I would love to share with people just as a way, again, as you're growing humans, one thing you've done intentionally for them. Yeah. A lot of people ask about this and I love talking about it. So yay. Okay. So last year, Lydia, my older daughter said, "Um, mom, let's read through the Bible together in a year. And she found the plan and we read it through in a year. And for the last five years, I've had two ESV journal journaling Bibles sitting here with every intention of, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year, and I'm going to journal all these notes to each of my daughters, and I never got around to it. Well, I did. I finally got around to it in 2020, and I read through that whole Bible in a year, and every page, um, I wrote something, like there was something on every page, sometimes multiple things on every page, and I reflected back to Lydia, like, this is something I want you to know about God on this page. This is something that spoke to me, or 
these were verses that buoyed me during a really hard time, or this was my life verse back in 2006 when I was going through that really hard time, or look at this verse in light of what we're going through with COVID-19. I mean, it was so fun. It was so cool. It was so meaningful. She had no idea that I was doing this Bible for her. She thought I was just reading along, right? Because we're re reading the Bible together. And I gave it to her as a gift at the end of this, after I'd finished it all. I'm like, this is, this is everything I want you to know. This is, this is the most important book. And it's how I feel about every single page. And so then this past year, I started to do the same thing for Anna. So they'll both have Bibles with, you know, that they can look back on maybe when I'm not here anymore. And no, this is, this, this is what was important to mom. This is what mattered most. I love this idea so much. And for, for the women listening who are like, yeah, but my kids are grown or I've missed the boat. Could I just say, if this is resonating with you, um, just go for it. And, it, mm -hmm. and it, you don't have to, it doesn't have to look a certain way or be perfect. Um, I just love that this is in some ways, Jennifer, being able to encourage her daughters, keep pointing them to Jesus, leave this legacy for years to come. Probably that it would even be something grandkids would pick up and say, hey, look at, look at what grandma wrote. And I know that I have a Bible from one of my grandmas. And I just love looking at her notes and seeing what was she reading? What was she um, learning. And so th that to me is such a cool idea of one way we can invest in our kids and our children's children and beyond. Um, yeah. So. And you gain something from it too. Like, honestly, let me confess that I have never once read through the Bible cover to cover in a whole year. That was the first time I'd ever done it. So that was really, I mean, it was great for Lydia, but it was also great for me because I'd never done it before. That's awesome. And it doesn't have to be Jan 1. Can be any time. Um, I'm That's probably right. more of a read the Bible in a like five year span. Oh I'm, yeah, I, I'm a I'm a growing slow Bible. I like to linger. That um, has merit. And, yeah, it does. <laughs> and so Jennifer, thank you for coming on here and sharing so much with us. I know people are going to want to know how to connect with you, um, where they can find your book. Um, share a little bit more about that. Uh, you can pre-order the book at www.growingslowbook.com. You can find it on Amazon and all the usual places. But what I want to offer to your listeners is I have a couple really cool pre-order incentives for anybody who buys the book in advance. And one of them is seven free teaching videos that we filmed here on the farm through the seasons, through an entire growing season, even some winter scenes that I think you'll love. And we've got scenes in there of that big rock, those big rocks I was telling you about and that wall in the barn. So we've got that for you. And then we also have a growth tracker and guided growth journal where you can look every month back on your growth and see what was flourishing, what was languishing. And I take you through a process uh, that helps you adopt a growing slow mindset and it's called remember, reflect, return. And so it's built into that journal and I'd love to share it with your listeners. Well, that is so awesome. One thing I want to um, share with people is it actually really is helpful to authors when you pre-order. So, um, and usually when you order as well, I know Amazon has a policy that you pay the lowest price that they are going to um, have for that book up until that point. So I think this is it is a very timely book. I read a lot of books in this podcast. And, um, and this is one for me. I was like, I want to read this whole book. And, mm -hmm. and again, even read it slowly. Cause I was like, I want to, I want to um, let some of these truths 
sink in, wrestle with some of these concepts. And so my book is totally highlighted. Um, <laughs> I've really enjoyed it. Jennifer, thank you um, for joining us. And for, just as we say goodbye, can you one more time say the word roots? Roots. Thank you. Okay, I needed that. All right. Have a great day. Okay. Bye-bye. Can I just say thank you for listening? This space has been incredibly encouraging for me this past year. And as I am being deeply encouraged by these conversations, I trust you are as well. And I'm not going to ask you to rate the show or subscribe, but I am going to ask if while you were listening today, a friend popped into your mind and you thought, hmm, I think they could use this encouragement. Can I ask you to share this episode with them, with one person? When I listen to podcasts on my phone, there are three little dots at the bottom right and I click there to share. Also, can I say sometimes I don't share with others as I'm worried about what they'll think of me if they think I'm bugging them by sharing something, but when someone shares something with me, I am never bothered. Often it is the exact thing I needed to hear. So if someone popped into your mind, click those three little dots and share this encouraging conversation with them. And thank you for listening to Ready to Thrive.